I'm gonna die. I'm gonna die historic on the Fury Road. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. It's time to see what's behind door number one and all of the other subsequent doors in Mad Max Fury Road, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 6, which begins with Max sprinting through one set of doors after another, and it ends with our main title card fading to black. I love the idea that this entire thing that we've seen so far is just the cold open. Mm -hmm. And we end this minute with the opening title card. I'm glad that you brought up the fact that this is a cold open because this is the first time in the series that we've actually had a legitimate cold open. All of the other movies have put their title out before they ever got into the action. One of the most important things that happened in this movie, Max's capture, mm -hmm. happens right away. Which is also true for Thunderdome. I mean, the most important thing that happens happens right away. There's no lead up to it. The first thing that happens is that Max loses the camel truck. It's just not as impactful as this. This movie is like all about making a big impact. When I think of a cold open, I feel like it's the foundation that the rest of the movie just needs to get out of the way so that you know where things are starting. And then the things that happen after the cold open, that's the official start. And considering that Max is not acting with a full range of agency in this beginning quarter of the movie. I think it's interesting that the story of him getting kidnapped and taken is relegated to, okay, this is important. It's backstory. Let's get it out of the way. So you know where we're starting. And we also set the stage for his particular type of madness that we are going to see in this movie. And it's made very clear to us that these hallucinations are going to continue and they are going to be a problem. Mm -hmm. They are going to influence how he acts. So let's establish that right away. It is already causing him problems just in this chase. Looking at this minute in particular, minute six, the first 16 seconds of this minute is Max getting away from the war boys, rounding a corner and then shoving his way through one set of doors after the other. And... As he's going down this long hallway, he's meeting these phantoms from his past. It starts off with Glory, but she's got a, I guess, skull face? Is yes. a good way to describe it? If we didn't already get the notice that she was dead, we know now. It's driving home the point that honestly didn't need to be driven home. And she's shouting, stop running, Max. Stop running. And I wonder what she means. Oh, I think she means emotional running. Yeah. I think she means fear of intimacy, fear of commitment, fear of making connections with people. At the end of every story, and this one is no exception, he leaves. Mm. He has opportunities and open invitations. Max, please come with us. And he says no. So he's still running. And as he's running, when he sees a phantom, we get these shots of him waving his hands in front of his face as if he's trying to bat them away. And so he bats away the image of glory and she's replaced by someone that we haven't seen before. And we're not going to see him again. A lot of these faces that we're about to see, this is it for them. But we see a dark skinned man and he's got these blood red eyes 
and he advances on Max and shouts about how you let us die. And there are other voices that repeat that. And as he pushes through another set of doors, he sees another figure. And this figure in particular is very shifty in that it starts off looking like one person and then goes from a man to an old woman to a different type of man. I didn't actually list them out because Uh. I don't currently have the ability to go frame by frame reliably. I'm in a technical slump when it comes to my available software, so I wasn't able to list exactly who was who. But whoever they are, apparently there was a group of people that Max let die from his perspective. Do you think that the people that we see all along this hallway, including Glory, are all from the same incident? Or do you think that they're the people from his whole past? I want to say people from his whole past. I really like that idea that it's from his whole past. And I think it's really easy to say something like, oh, it'd be really cool if they like slid a picture of Jesse in there or other people that we know that died. If Mm -hmm. Papagallo was in there or Gecko, somebody from the other movies that we know that he feels like he let them down and let them die. It's really easy to say that. I'm glad that they didn't. It would be a little heavy on the fan service. Yes, a little heavy on the fan service, a little bit of a cliche, but it's a fun idea to think about. I would have loved to see, especially in this shifting figure, the one that changes from one face to the other to the other, digitally put in there, Joanne Samuel from 1979, digitally put in there, Mike Preston from 1981, put these faces in there, especially on the shifting form, because it is so quick and the eagle-eyed people will catch it. But to the regular viewing public, they'll just see it as, okay, this is a weird shifting phantasm that is plaguing Max. I don't know if they would have been able to get the people to sign off on using the likeness. Maybe that was an idea. Maybe they thought, hey, let's try and get these old people. And then they tried to get a hold of them and they couldn't track them down. Well, I think perhaps not for Mad Max 79. I don't know who owns the rights, although Kennedy Miller would own the rights to that. Well, there's the right to the movie footage, then there's the right to using the person's image. But if the image is an image from the movie... I guess that would work. Yeah, if it's from the movie itself, I wonder if that was ever bandied about. Hmm. We'll put it on the list of things to ask. Yeah, when we get to talk to George Miller. Right, as if that's going to happen. Right. From the sound of it, if we did talk to George Miller, a lot of his answers would just be, I don't know, because he seems a little vague, like a true artist. Right. (laughs) Running by this shifting form, Max pushes through yet another set of doors. His eyes are wide and frenzied at this point. And as the doors swing aside, we see another set of doors that look a little different than the ones before. They look different enough that if he wasn't frenzied, he should have noticed that something don't was up. run through those doors. Yeah. They were glowing with an awful lot of daylight. So starting around the 14 second mark, there is a second and a half, two seconds of very quick imagery. Max's vision shifts to that of a dark red tunnel. There is a woman who screams in his face. We get an extreme close up of his face. There's a hard cut to another close up on his face. We flash of a Man with just radiation face, tumors and everything. He's shouting. Max continues running. We go back to Glory, who is screaming at Max. And he's throwing his hands up in front of him. It's a whole lot to process. 
It is. And I know that our job is to minutely analyze the movie, but I think some things we really need to take as a group. This run down the hallway, I think it's best taken as the entirety of the run. Yeah. I don't think there's anything to be gained from analyzing each individual person that appears to him. And I think the reason why that is the case is because it is so intense. Yes. There's a lot of speed. There's a lot of uh, unanswered questions that we're just not going to find the answer to. And besides, when Max reaches the end of this hallway, he bursts open those doors and is suddenly faced with the cold light of day (laughs) because the hallway has ended. Yes. And there is no more hallway. Much to his great surprise. I really appreciate the expression on his face. Oh, my word. Tom Hardy's ability to emote with his eyes is on full display here. It is. And that specific reason is why I think he is such a good choice to replace Mel Gibson as Max. Previous Max, Mel Gibson's Max, is known for being a man of few words. A lot of his acting is done in his expressions, in his face. And Tom Hardy continues on that legacy. Aside from his face acting, I also like his physical acting, how he's leaning back from this great height. I think he realizes just how close he was to doing a Peter Pan right off of this Citadel right here. No, no, you are not allowed to quote that movie until you have seen it. And I have been saying that for four seasons now. You still haven't seen it. I don't care. You had that planned. Yes, I did. You <laughs> fell right into it. You knew what I was going to say. So my first question, why is this door here? Oh, it's a loading door. Like they use the cranes on top of the Citadel to lift supplies up and then they pull it into the side. That sounds incredibly convenient for the war boys. Not that it's convenient that, oh, that's a convenient explanation. Like, no, that's that's excellent planning from an architectural standpoint. Because if you're dealing with a bunch of narrow hallways and hollowed out caves and you've got to get stuff up to the level where you're scraping all the paint off of new cars, sounds a whole lot easier to lift a pallet of stuff up the side of the mountain instead of trying to carry it. Absolutely. Plus, all the food that they harvest up there, they then have to bring it down Mm -hmm. and move it around the citadel. Not that they're bringing it down to the ground because they're not, but they have to move it around the citadel. And why not do it where the starving people on the ground can see? But they got the car up there somehow. Now, I don't think they got the car in through this particular door. The hallways are just not wide enough from what we have seen of them. But I'm sure that there are many, many doors that those cranes can move around lots. I'm wondering now if there are actually any interior ways to go from one level to another. Like freight elevators? There are certainly no interior elevators. I'm wondering if there's even interior stairs. Maybe. It's definitely a way to control where people go and where people are. Like everybody has to stick to a certain level? Yes. Okay. So if you want to move around, you have to have the approval of the powers that be. I don't think it's very clearly drawn out in this movie exactly how the internal structure of the Citadel works, but... If the only way to get into Citadel stuff was to take that elevator up, 
the big elevator that we're going to see next week. Uh huh. And then everything was essentially on that same level, either on top of the mesas or close to the top of the mesas. Makes sense to me. Cults are all about control and isolation and uniformity. We've already seen the uniformity. Perhaps we are seeing signs of the isolation. I like that. It simplifies it. They bring up the retrieval vehicles and the interceptor on that big elevator, and then everything's just on the same level. They don't have to worry about ramps or stairs or moving people around. The biggest thing they have to worry about is moving product from the top to that main layer. I don't think the art book has any sort of cutaway map, which is a shame. It is a shame. I love that kind of stuff. We can't all be like Star Wars with cutaways and schematics for every little thing. Mm -hmm. Although Mark did say that they threw out like some 16,000 storyboard cells. Who knows? Maybe one of them was a cutaway with a bunch of lines drawn on it. I don't know. I mean, someone made a drawing of what Max's back was tattooed in. Mm -hmm. So as Max is looking out over this expanse, over this courtyard and over this space between the spire he's in and the spire across the way we pan up and we get to see joe's insignia carved on the opposite mesa and the big pipes that are going to become very important in minutes nine and ten so tail end of next week beginning of the week after that and i don't think at this point that max has had a good look at the insignia so seeing it on the wall might be the first exposure that he's getting even though it's the second time we've seen it i think so Particularly considering the expression on his face, which is confusion. Mm -hmm. He had no idea that he was that up high. He had no idea that he was in this elaborate a complex. So he is all of a sudden exposed to all of this. This is just a lot to take in. There's a ton of people milling about on the ground. He's got the big insignia, the water pipes, the three mesas all topped with green. It's just a lot to take in. Never mind that he almost just ran off the edge of the cliff. This is a lot of brand new information. It's a scale that he's never had to deal with before because whether it was civilization or the facsimile of civilization in Melbourne versus Bartertown, now he's got giant insignias carved in the wall. There are these cranes everywhere. What really astounds me as we cut back to Max as he continues looking up and then we see the top of these spires is how much green there is. How long has it been since Max has seen anything green? Since the crack in the earth? Perhaps. I mean, considering that he knew exactly where the crack in the earth was, it seems almost foolish that he didn't go back there. But, you know, whatever. I think he remembered who was left behind in the crack in the earth and he thought, I don't want to go back to that. All the girls who were even close to being of age were gone. And the fact that it was a hole in the ground full of children in general. (laughs) I don't know. He seemed to get on pretty well with Slake. I imagine they would have started butting heads sooner than later. Yeah. One cool thing about this shot of Max looking across the way, if you go to the right side of the mesa, you can see the little dome where the wives are kept. Oh. It's just kind of sticking out the side there. Oh, yeah. I'm noticing the bridges leaving aside. There are three bridges that go off to the right-hand side. I thought there were only three pillars. There are. There's the one that Max is in. Yeah. There should be one off to the left. Yeah. And then Joe's Straight ahead. Yeah, but those bridges are going off to the right. It looks like into another pillar. Hmm. 
it looks from the limited view I can see here, it looks like it's connecting two pillars with bridges. Weird. And Max's head is blocking most of a bridge going from the left-hand pillar to the main pillar in the center. Mm. So there's a bridge going across there, too. And there's a windmill on top. Well, Joe's got to pump the water up somehow. Yeah, definitely. I'm kind of surprised there's not more windmills. But this view is pretty limited. I believe we get better views of the tops. I like how you've got the green that is just so isolated on top, but then you have, like, drips of green going down the side where water and seeds and whatnot have just kind of fallen off the edge mm -hmm. and caught on an outcropping and taken root and done their thing. Stuff that you don't necessarily plan for. It just, it happens, just happens by circumstance. Yeah. We cut into the hallway looking out at Max and as... We're looking at him. There's a crane that's starting to go by. So convenient crane is convenient. And so Max steps back into the hallway because he has decided that there is one way to get out of this and he's going to take it. And with war boys filling the hallway, Max runs towards the open door and leaps through the air towards this crane. Now, before we talk about the jump, the shot of him running towards the open door with the war boys chasing after him. A YouTube video I was watching pointed out off to the left side of the screen down by the floor where the floor meets the wall. You can see the poles that they're going to use to retrieve him in a moment. Because those are the poles that they use to retrieve whatever's hanging from that hook. Exactly. The hook doesn't actually have a ton of control. So it can get you to the altitude that you need but it can't put it in the thing for you so for anybody wondering where these poles come from right they're on the ground but we get a nice slow motion jump yeah of max going out gorgeous and because he's max he's able to hook the chains around his wrists around this hook and he's out there he's out in open air he is. And it's another great situation. Okay. <laughs> so you're out there on the hook. First problem is that you're swinging and you just swing right back into the hole. Mm -hmm. But the second problem is what is he supposed to do now? Where is he supposed to go from here? Yeah. He's not in a good position to start climbing the cables. And it's not likely that the person controlling the crane is just going to lift him out of there. Because he doesn't know exactly how high that hook was going to go. He doesn't know how low it's going to go. He's taking it on faith that anywhere outside of the tunnel is better than anywhere inside the tunnel. That's exactly it. It's not going to pay off. Yeah, he has no grand plan. He is taking whatever pathway is open to him immediately in front of him. Yeah. And at this point, I mean, this entire chase has been completely pointless. And he knew that. But... This is Max. He's the Mary Sue of the post-apocalypse. He's going to keep fighting no matter what. And things just work out for him. Like running full tilt out a door and not running over the edge. And oh, <laughs> look, there happens to be a crane passing by. Things just work out for Max until they don't. I wish I could say the same for the one war boy who is Ooh. very bold. He thinks I can reach out. And I can grab Max and I can pull him into the hallway. Do you think perhaps it's the same war boy who reached out and grabbed Max from the grate into the pool of water? Could be. Worked for him once. It does not work for him a second time. I think he's able to get a hand on Max, but where Max is swinging. 
It pulls the warboy off balance, and he shouts as he falls, Witness. I'm impressed that he has the presence of mind in that moment to not just scream, but to actually say the word. It's the first instance that we're going to hear of this thing related to the cult of the V8. It's the first hint at this kamikaze aspect of it Mm -hmm. for the war boys. He is doing something incredibly bold by trying to grab onto Max with his bare hands and pull him in. And it has pulled him out into open air. And so he's saying, witness me, brothers, <laughs> as he falls to his death, because he's hoping that they will witness his deed and he will be admitted into Valhalla. To quote Slit, it's rather mediocre. <laughs> his effort here. But there is a much better scene later on to really hammer home the idea of witnessing and Gates of Valhalla and all that other stuff. So we'll probably get into it real deep then. All right. I'm looking forward to it. Anything related to the cult of the V8 is very interesting to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure we'll have fun talking about that. All of these war boys, they're crowding around the door. A couple of smarter ones have grabbed the utility poles and they start pulling on the hook. What I've noticed, as Max gets pulled in towards the door, the crane is actually relaxing. So whoever is controlling that crane realizes something is up and is actually lowering the hook to make it easier for them to get Max inside again. Which I'm a little skeptical of. I'm more apt to believe that it was on its way down anyways. Yeah. Because, I don't know, do they have an alert system that they can flip and say that there is a prisoner on the loose, lockdown sector 2B? You know, do they have that kind of system? We see some sophisticated stuff going on here, but that sophisticated? I doubt it. It's hard to say. What's easy to say is that there really was no good way out of this. And as Max is pulled into that hallway, one of the war boys produces a, I guess, piece of rubber. Yeah, it looks like a piece of rubber. They throw it over his face and they pull it tight and they are going to just let him struggle until he passes out. And that way they can put him in a muzzle. Yeah, he'll be much easier to handle. He's a pain in the butt. (laughs) He has put them through a lot of effort. Rightly so. It's a rough quote from The Great Escape that the British officer makes a comment that it is their duty as British officers to try to escape or at least wreak as much havoc on their captors as possible. Mm Mm-hmm. So as Max is being pulled back by all the war boys, the title card slams shut as if it were two giant steel doors. And it is Mad Max in this massive sheet steel coloring, which I think is a lovely nod back to the blued chrome title cards of Mad Max and Mad Max 2. We went a little boring with Beyond Thunderdome with just the white text on a black background, but here it's larger than life, slamming shut, ka-chunk, yes, rough I, polished steel. I really love the door effect. That was great. I really like the symmetry of this logo to the Road Warrior logo. It's pretty great. And then not only does it say Mad Max, but we also get the words Fury Road, which are, I wouldn't say burned in, they just kind of appear, but they aren't the rough steel. They are glowing hot iron with little flames licking the sides. Yeah. It looks metal AF. I think as far as cold opens and this title card included, 
that their general idea of setting the stage for what you're about to experience. This one was pretty spectacular. It was pretty spot on. Everything that we just experienced right down to that title card is what we are in for for the next 120 minutes. Oh, absolutely. But as I said earlier, the last two weeks, that was just set up. We get to start the movie proper next week. Yes, we do. So be sure to come back on Monday. We are going to leave Max for a while. We're going to head outside. The war boys are getting the war rig ready for a supply run, and we get to meet Charlize Theron as Imperator Furiosa. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 6 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time. <laughs>